Hello and welcome to Inspiration Boulevard, the podcast where we discuss the brilliance and creativity that exists within the field of mental health. I am your host, Alan Hyde, and I am joined today by a licensed clinical or professional counselor, is that technically? Uh, Heather Gore. And Heather, it is a pleasure to have you on here. I appreciate you coming and doing this. Well, thank you so much for having me here in Pennsylvania. We uh, call it yeah, a licensed professional counselor. Gotcha. Yeah, we, we have, uh, I think it's made its way out here, right? The, the LPCC kind of deal. And it's, we're kind of dominated out here on the, the West Coast. And I think the East Coast is too, at times, like the LMFT. But the LPCC is basically, for those listening, it's, it's essentially the same exact thing um, as far as like what we work with and, and kind of what it allows us to do. They're just, there are some courses that don't overlap, I think is kind of, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on the LPCC side, but maybe you could shed some light on that. Yeah, so I think it's a little bit of uh, different coursework uh, and a little bit of a different focus. I know uh, it's really big, especially like in New York, uh, to be a social worker, uh, and that is a very, um, uh, it's held in high esteem to be a, a social worker, a clinical social worker, because there's uh, some extra licensure uh, but, you know, I've been in the field for, what, uh, 12 years, and I still don't know all of the differences. So if you're confused, we are too. It's all good. Right. Right. Yeah, there's so many different types of professionals. I guess the important thing is that we're out there trying to help people. Exactly. And exactly. I always tell people, like, don't get caught up in the credentials. You know, you could have somebody with a master's degree who could be more efficient than somebody who's a PhD. It's not the, you know, the letters behind the name. I think it's the... Uh, rapport and the relationship um, jumping ahead I think yeah sure you know it's, it's like um, you know there, there seems to be a feud at least out here on the on the west coast between like LCSW and LMFT and I have good friends who are LCSWs and and we always joke about that but it's it's funny because my therapist who I worked with for a while now you know, she's an LCSW and I, I don't know where I would be without her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like I said, it's all about the rapport and the relationship. I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. So what, what inspired you to kind of get in this field and, and help people and go the route that you did as far as becoming a, a licensed clinical or professional counselor and, and kind of what inspired you to go this direction as opposed to something else that we could be doing out there in the world? Yeah, sure. It's a great question. So for me, I've always just had this curious nature about things in general, you know, so I would see something as a child and I'd be like, huh, questioning it, kind of just more curious about it. It's not a judgment, but more just like, what's, what is this about? Right. And so I think even early on as children, we have, you know, uh, these senses about things like, hey, this fits with me or it doesn't fit with me, right? So you might notice something and then as you're noticing it, kind of uh, taking it in and saying like, huh, this doesn't fit with who, what I think the world should look like. Uh, and so a lot of that curiosity is really what started uh, me down this path and, and heading into this field and really wanting to just help people. Um, you know, you'd see these movies. I don't know if it was like, a, so I'm in my thirties, full disclosure. Right. And uh, you'd see these movies and they like have these like really cool couches and it really did look cool. So I was like, oh man, like, so being curious and then also wanting to help people. And, and the thought of getting like one of those big couches, I was like, yeah, I could do this. <laughs> Have you have you successfully pulled that off yet in your practice? A nice so, couch. <laughs> so listen, I, I it's probably one of my like uh, proudest moments is that like when I was making like no money and really just early off in my career, I made it a priority to have a nice office because I felt like it was so important. So I kind of joke about it, but. I felt like it was so important if you're going to come into a space and have to tell me some of the most difficult things you've ever had to talk about, I wanted to honor my clients by providing that space. So I went out and bought a brand new couch set and uh, it worked really well for teenagers because they would be like, whoa, this is so cool. Oh, this is so, oh, Miss Heather's cool. I'm like, oh, I got cool points too. It was, I was really doing a good job at that point. I was like, yes. Uh, and of perpetuating that curiosity, right? In those those ages where it struck you, you're striking it in others now. 
I never thought of it that way, but it takes a, a insightful uh, therapist to, to figure that out. So kudos to you. Bless our hearts. Bless our hearts. We just keep, we keep it going. You know, we, we give back to the, to the individuals who will eventually fill our shoes when we're older and, and retiring. That's right. That's right. You know, it's, it's interesting, right? Like, you know, you mentioned how important the setting is, and, and I promise I'm going to make a point here, but when my friend had suggested that I reach out to you, I, I went to your social media, and I started kind of just, you know, looking and, and taking in, you know, kind of the, the messages that you're putting out there, and, and I think there's something about the, the approach that you take with, with the posts that you put out there where it's like, this is intentional, I'm, I'm putting this out there based on what my beliefs are. Versus like, you know, like on social media, you go to someone's page and it's like they're putting things out just for the likes, you know, or just for the comments and the flow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and when I went to yours, I, I recognized like right away of like, okay, this is someone, this is a woman who's like rooted in her beliefs and is, is kind of putting out her message from her perspective and that, you know, it's like, it, it reminds me of what you were just saying about the couch is like, hey, this is what I value. And this is, this is what I want to kind of communicate to people. And it sounds like, that's kind of working for you. I mean, it, it comes across to me that it might be working for you. I'm curious what your experience has been with that. Yeah. Ooh. Well, I certainly hope it is, but uh, for me, being authentic is incredibly important. Um, you know, I think the, the basis of everything I do is, is rooted really in that authenticity, right? So like being authentic was really more important to me than being a therapist. And I know that sounds a little bit strange because it's my career, it's my livelihood. Uh, it's something that I you know, spent so much time doing, but, but yeah, I'm really rooted in my beliefs. And then I try to help people, um, not that they have to believe what I believe in any capacity, but also I think that some of those beliefs are things that the world really needs right now. Like, you know, being a good person, loving on people, you know, not being judgmental towards people. I think those things are incredibly important. And so when someone would walk into my office and it wasn't this sterile place where, you know, they came and they're like feeling defective, you know, this is what they would say, not my words. Of course, I don't think that. And they were like, whoa, she cares enough to like have this like fun decorated office. Um, I think it really made a big difference in the work that was done with those clients. Yeah, most definitely. Like just the, the setting, you know, and, and, and it's interesting too, that like, that was one of the things when I, when I, when I was drawn to reach out to you is like, everything's virtual right now, you know? And it's funny because in, in my private practice, kind of some of the ways people have come to refer to me and we're in sunny, sunny California. It's like sunshine. I live right by the beach. So it's like 24 seven, there's sun, sunshine. I've okay, I'm jealous. Yeah, it's it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. You know, I, I don't imagine myself leaving anytime soon. <laughs> but I, I've kind of become this therapist, like takes people for walks, like we go on the beach, we, you know, like get out into nature. Um, so this shift has been really, um, it's been really impactful. It's been very interesting, especially for the case that I work with in private practice. But it's it's also heightened, like you were saying, like, we're all virtual right now. And I think we're learning so much about that. And I think it's, it's really becoming apparent, like even in the clinical practices, like who is accountable, who's authentic, who is like putting forward ethical work. And I think there's something interesting about like the virtual aspects that's making that clear in today's like culture, you know, with the, with the pandemic and everything else like that. For sure. Real interesting to see. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, we're hearing a lot in the news about like teachers and the impact on them when they went to a virtual um, learning environment, but not as much about that mental health and really what that's looked like or the challenges and the, um, you know, listen, challenges and opportunities that's come from the mental health field needing to go virtual. I think in one aspect, we're able to reach more people who maybe couldn't get there before maybe there's other barriers such as like transportation or gas or, or whatever it might be and I think so so there's some opportunities but definitely some challenges and I think that as a whole I haven't seen as much now I, I try to stay away from the news that's my personal thing because I'm like hey that, that can be TMI for me too much and going in and that's like not helping me but um I have not really seen a lot of posts about that and what that really looks like so it's interesting. I think we're going through some 
you know, obviously we're going through a time where we've never lived through, but I think it's important. And I think having that relationship, you know, with your clients allows for you to navigate these challenges. Yeah. Well, and I like that you mentioned, right, like your personal approach to kind of staying away from media during these times, because, you know, like working in treatment centers, that was the first objective, right? You were already spinning on enough, you know, like yeah. there's already enough going on. Uh, and then you add in news media kind of the way, and, and you know, you got to give them credit. They're out there, you know, kind of doing their job and doing the thing of like getting news out there. And I, I'm not going to go down all those roads, but what I do know is for clients, right, who are watching kind of like the doomsday stuff, who are already really anxious, it's like, let's let's get away from that as like quickly as possible. And and also just like the humanness of like, I needed to get away from it as, as quickly as possible, you know, because I'm, I'm working with people a lot and, and full disclosure, I'm a neurotic as well. So it's like, hey, I need to get away from this doomsday stuff so I don't go down the rabbit holes. Totally. So I remember this one client I had um, when working with the client, uh, basically one of the main concerns was anxiety. And so the first thing I told this person, and I'm kind of keeping everything kind of secret here, right? Definitely wanting to protect any uh, identity uh, or private health information. But this, so my client basically had anxiety and every time they would open Facebook, it would increase anxiety because they were seeing what was going on in the world. And this is pre COVID. So this is probably like a couple of years ago. So I said to them, I said, so have you ever thought about deleting the app from your phone? And you would have thought, and again, and this is, this is not (laughs) to discredit my client. Like you would have thought I said something brilliant. And I was like, I'm feeling really smart today. Okay. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, but like when I tell you the difference it made, because when you have access and it's so easy, like if it's on your home screen, when you go to your uh, phone, it's easier to tap into it. And even for five minutes, see, be bombarded with news messages or be bombarded with whether it be negativity or, you know, whatever you're looking at on your feed. Um, but it was funny because that approach was so simple yet effective at uh, helping reduce this person's anxiety and still, uh, you know, I think, you know, sometimes I don't know if the viewers know this, sometimes, uh, you know, former clients will reach out and say like, Hey, thanks. I'm doing great. Send a card or something. And uh, still to this day, that's something that helps this person. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's something, right. Like we were touching on a little bit too of like, the connection between us being authentic with them and, and holding accountability in that relationship, right. And, and allowing them to see what that looks like a model for them. And I was going to ask you, right. Like, cause there, there's a lot of points on, on the social media stuff that I, I would just love to pick your brain. So I, I would love to talk to any therapist about this is, well, have you ever heard of covenant eyes? Have you ever heard of that app that therapists use um, like when they're working with like sex addiction or anything like that? I haven't actually. Yeah, so it's really interesting because, like, what it does is, like, in a confidential way, it tracks, like, hey, like, we used it. um, I worked at a trauma treatment center, and we had uh, a therapist who was a certified sex and love uh, therapist, and she would use this app for for individuals on our caseload uh, on their computer and on their phone called Covenant Eyes, and essentially what it was is it would track, like, if you're going on porn sites or if you're downloading dating apps, that kind of stuff, and and it was really interesting for those who, like, it, it it wasn't like, Hey, if you're not interested in doing this, we're going to force you to do it. She had this communication with these individual, mm-hmm. individuals like, Hey, when you're willing and ready to, to try something different, this is a way for you and I to have that accountability together. And I'm, I'm curious, right? Like, cause I had some thoughts about that in the beginning, but like, I also saw the benefits of doing it like hugely. So I'm curious as you hear that, like maybe what your take is on things like that. So it- Actually, I have heard of it. As you started talking about it, I was like, oh, I'm very familiar with this. So um, it's interesting. I think it involves a significant amount of trust between who you're allowing to, you know, to have access to that 
Um, I think it's an incredibly helpful tool. I actually see it used a lot in churches. So when maybe um, young adults are really struggling with like a porn addiction and they're, you know, not wanting to go down that path. Um, I, I've seen a lot of pastors actually use it in order to help people. But I think that one of the things that I'm really passionate about is that, um, therapy doesn't have to fit in a box. So when you said, hey, we go for a walk to go to the beach because there's plenty of studies that talk about how movement uh, can increase the ability to talk, right? And I'm, right. I'm, I'm using very layman terms here. Like I could probably get some more clinical, but you know what I'm saying, right? I'm just kind of, you know, yeah, putting it out there sure. for everybody. I, think like, I mean, it's, it, it's always better to use those, those terms, right? It works, it works best for me. Like I, even when I read all the fancy books, like if you can explain this to me in like the second grade version, I'm going to get this a lot better. <laughs> that is exactly how I feel. So that's, yeah, that's kind of usually my language. But, but so my point being that I think that anytime we're doing things outside of the box to meet the clients where they're at versus just saying like, okay, in cognitive behavioral therapy, it, it's this, this, and this, because I don't know about you, but I'm not seeing clients with check boxes anymore. I think over the last 10 years, I've seen this major shift from maybe um, very specific clinical diagnoses that were kind of isolated incidents to a lot of uh, impact of psychosocial stressors. So, you know, family systems, um, financial, uh, legal, a lot of other things that are really impacting overall mental health. And so, I wouldn't expect the same tools uh, to necessarily do the job. I'm not saying they don't, but I think that when we close ourselves off to other things because of whatever reason, um, you know, fear of, you know, well, that's not how other therapists do it. Um, I gave up on that at some point. I was just like, you know what? This is how I do it. Like I'm a, I'm a tough loving gal from New York. Right. And, uh, and, and the clients who came to me appreciated that approach. They didn't want me to, you know, sugarcoat things. They wanted honesty that they had never received so they could make changes. Well, I like that, right? It's like owning your professionalism, owning your, right, the way you want to do this work. And, and I think there's something huge to be said about that from the standpoint of like not burning out in this field too, you know? And that's something like recently I was having a conversation you know, and, and my viewers know this, or, you know, the, the 10 or so of you who are listening consistently. Okay, let's <laughs> get to Al -Anon. Right? Yes, today will be 11. Um, but I attend Al-Anon meetings consistently. Um, and so I was speaking with my sponsor about this, uh, just kind of like that, that process of, of owning who I am as a professional and not apologizing for that, you know, because a lot of like my alanonic brain growing up in an alcoholic home, I would, I would apologize for breathing when I was younger, you know? Mm. And, and so today it's like, as a professional, it's like, Hey, I'm, you know, it's not, it's not about like power and control. Like I'm the professional and this is the way I do it. It's about like, and, and I noticed a lot of this on, on some of the things you put out there is like, I'm going to attract what I put out, right. I'm going to attract the people who are drawn to that type of work and I'm going to work with them. Right. And I think there's something about that and like building your fellowship, building your community, that perpetuates right like us not burning out from a professional end but also like doing effective work with clients who are ready to do that type of work with us oh yeah that's all the good clinical stuff you're talking about here yeah i think it's important because i think the work is hard right and people don't realize that uh like you know you get into this field to help people and so I always am so cautious about how I talk about it. Like, yes, I, I want you to know it's hard. Like, not that I want them to know it's hard. Let me get my words together here. I think- I'll be very curious. Yeah. So like, I, you know, I don't want to ever make anybody feel bad. Like, oh, you know, your problems are, are, are making it harder for me. Right. So I really want to kind of create that uh, space and, and delineation between the two, because it's not that- that person's problems are causing challenges for me. Um, it's that, you know, when you're seeing multiple clients, um, it can be, it can be challenging, right? Um, I think there are some challenges with the mental health field right now, just in terms of, um, you know, 
billing and not being able to bill for paperwork, which you have to do in order to get paid. So I think there are some systematic issues that have nothing to do with clients that make it harder for therapists to do their job. Yeah. Yeah. There, and there's, there's a lot of things, you know, like it's, we could go down a rabbit hole of like even just zooming in on like treatment. A big one I've been talking about with like a group of clinicians I work closely with is like abdicating against um, what we would call body brokering, you know, like the, the clients that are being referred over and then paid by the referent to relapse and go to another treatment center to run the off on the insurance. And it's like a lot of people don't even know that's a thing, but that's like, that's what shut Florida down. Right. Remember when the FBI and all that, like raided all those treatment centers and shut everybody down. And then oh, it, like, happened here. Yeah. It's like, it's like a real thing. And, and really it's, it's human trafficking, you know, and it's just like, so you got things like that. You've got like the system as a whole that doesn't like, you know, pay for what the needs are, you know, and you gotta, you gotta do this song and dance of like, I was working with this client in really dynamic ways, but I've got to put it in the box of CBT so I can get it paid by the insurance company. You know, it's just, it's all the things. And so that's where I like come back to what you were touching on. It's like what I can be fulfilled by and like fuel me to do those, those like above and beyond things is that I, well, I really enjoy the approach that I take when I work with these clients and attracting the clients that want to do work in that ways has been, it's, it's a beautiful process, you know, yeah. because real work occurs. Totally. I, yeah, I couldn't agree. And like I said, I think it goes beyond insurance companies. I think there's a, it's a systematic issue in our country, right? So we, we talk about stigma. We talk, I mean, we, again, there's so many rabbit holes. I think that's mental health in a nutshell, rabbit hole, right? Like synonymous, right? Even when you're working with a client, you could go down like so many, but I think uh, there's some systematic issues that go beyond, you know, insurance and go beyond, uh, you know, what, uh, just go beyond that. And I think that's, you know, again, it, they're just challenges that we have to face every day that we're navigating um, that most of our clients don't know because it's all behind the scenes. We, I, I know most of us try very hard to protect our clients from things like that. Um, you know, if you've ever been in this, in a, you know, session with somebody who, who needs treatment and they can't afford it, that's really challenging. Like it hurts. It, it's hard on the soul. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's always like, you know, you know, cause I've worked in treatment centers pretty much since I've like started this thing. And it's, you know, I'm pretty, pretty deep into this as far as like going on like eight years. And, um, the, the concept of like those who can't pay for it, it's, it, there's always this weird paradox in the universe of like the ones who are like really ready to like do the work because what's funny is they present so well in a treatment center. So insurance companies aren't going to pay unless there's like the medical necessity, you know, so there's like that balance going on of like presenting medical necessity in a way that like, you know, allows them to stay, you know, and, and do the work that we may not fully be even reporting to the insurance company, bless our hearts. You know, it's, it's a song and dance, you know, and, and like you were saying, I think that plays into the overall system as well. It's, it's, it's not working because it's like, Hey, we're all lying to each other and we know we're lying to each other, but we're trying to do it for the benefit of the client. But like, what is that model to the client and their family? You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's just, it's fascinating to me, the system, you know? Yeah. yeah and just uh, challenges that we, like I said, are navigating that people know nothing about and some systematic right. issues. I'm sure that, you know, every field has their challenges. Right. And so these are just ones that we're, you know, we're talking about, we're dealing with people though, and, and dealing with really sensitive things. So it can just make it hard. Um, and I think you were talking about burnout in particularly and uh, in particular, and, uh, you know, navigating what that looks like. Um, have you ever experienced burnout? I know you're asking the questions, but I, you know, I guess I'm interested too. And see, that's that curious nature in me. Yeah. You know, you know, what's funny is like, um, to, to just like be open. It's like before there was, there was this real crossroads where as a therapist, I, I think what people like just to normalize for, for our side of the street is like therapists have to do their work too. And what's funny is like, I've always loved the concept or the conversation of like, you can only go as far with a client as you've been willing to go emotionally yourself. And like you get told down in school, it's kind of in your studies, you get in the field and everyone's kind of talking about it. And like, but, but it's kind of like that, I'll speak for myself. 
from a very self-righteous place of like, oh, but I'm, I'm the mental health professional. I do self-care, mm. you know, I read the books, I've done the stuff. And there was this real uh, precarious place I got myself into a couple of years ago of like emotionally navigating very difficult clients where it was like, I had kind of gotten to a place where I was ready to turn the corner in my career and like be a true professional, like a true, like I know what I'm doing professional. Um, and it required an extra level because I was getting to a place with my clients where like now I understood how to go to like a deeper emotional place and I wasn't prepared for that. And then I had some things going on in my life as far as like just kind of some grief stuff um, sure. and, and other things that were, you know, just like coming up in, in my uh, now adult alcoholic home. Um, and so it drove me to therapy and then it drove me to Al-Anon. And when I started doing those things wholeheartedly, um, it kept me from burning out. I was, I was ready to take a break. And, and what's funny is God had other plans for me yeah. not to, you know, like specifically get into any religious stuff, but like spiritually for sure, it's been a huge journey. Um, and I mean, we can touch on that in a minute too, because it's a, a lot of what I was drawn to with the stuff you put out. Um, but you're God, to God my heart here. you're speaking to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God wanted me in Al-Anon. You know, and Al-Anon kept me from burning out of the field. And it's also allowed me to do some really good work on like the end of like the families that I'm working with, with my individual clients, which, which is a huge shift in my work. Cause before I would avoid it and I didn't, I wouldn't even know I was avoiding it. You know what I mean? Sure. Until it was too late and like, Oh shit, I should have done something with that. And so that those things were leading to burnout too. So like all these different patterns and factors that I had to go work out in therapy and in Al-Anon um, and find my fellowship, my community. And that's what's kept me, you know, for now from, from facing any type of burnout because I take care of myself today. <laughs> well, kudos that's, to you that's because that is the one thing in the field I think is so important. And um, it's like not, I, I, I talk about this. I, I wrote a book. Uh, I think I shared that with you personally, but yeah, I had written a book, written a book and I'm working on publishing well, let's, it. Let's slow this down for two seconds, just for those who are listening and who are going to be watching this later on. What's the name of your book? What is the premise? I know you've shared a little bit of, with me, but I would love for them to be able to hear about it. Yeah. So with the, the title is a work in progress. You know, anytime you're working with a publishing company, you know, there is a, you know, you have to make sure that everybody is happy. Uh, so we're navigating that piece of it. But I wrote a book that really, uh, it's the intersection of, you know, faith and culture, right? And, and mental health in specific, right? So for me, um, I had found after I was sitting with people, and I've counseled thousands of people, literally, like thousands. Um, I had found that people were really struggling with their belief systems and that um, I, there was a lot of answers in a belief system. And so it really talks just about some of those mental traps that people fall into, very, very practical, and, and really talks about how faith Sorry for, the, sorry for the sirens in the background. <laughs> hey, this is real all? life. I mean, this is what happens. All uh, good, all good. Um, but yeah, so it really just talks about how, you know, how you can utilize, you know, uh, Christianity in order to help, uh, you know, eliminate some of those pain points in your life. Obviously not, nothing, you know, I'm not treating you individually, you know, so it's not intended to treat or cure, but I think it's, it's intended to increase awareness and then inspire action, uh, into say like, Hey, like, uh, there are things you can do. Yeah, well, I mean, just kind of like, you know, following the stuff that you put out there on, on your Instagram page and just about the book, like, it seems like people are, are jiving with it. it, seems like they like it and are kind of already connecting with that message through your social media. So yeah, I, I imagine when that book drops, there'll be a lot of people who, who take some nuggets from that. I sure hope so. I think it's like, a, it, you know, one of the things I joked about in the book is that most of my clients didn't even know I was a Christian because it didn't, that wasn't important to, to me in terms to tell them, right? Like it had nothing right. to do with me, but what I think became really evident through my practice is that because I was a practicing Christian, the things that I believed in, like not being judgmental, like Christian 101, right? Don't be judgmental. Um, love on people, um, do the right thing. I think the, they got to experience that through me, which actually, in turn made me more successful. 
Um, sure. My show rate at my practice was 96%. I was the youngest clinician at my practice. The national, they call it a show rate. So basically, if they, I think you know this, like if they've made an appointment and kept an appointment. Um, right, right. And so mine was 96%. You couldn't get into my schedule because people showed up and did the work with me. And so I, I don't think it has to do with me. I think it has to do with how they felt when they left because I wasn't judging them for what sure. they were telling me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, it's huge. You know, it's like at the end of the day, and, and I think Yalom talks about this a lot, like in all of his books and, and not to like, just randomly plug Yalom, but you know, it's, those are books I gravitate to a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's the exact point you're talking about of like touching on in, in the works of your writing and the work that you do with your clients is at the end of the day, we can do all these beautiful interventions and they can be really dynamic and, and, and super impactful. But you know, even just like from personal experience, the things that have impacted me the most were like you were saying the feelings I had when I walked out of the therapy office knowing, whoa, okay. All right, I'm, I'm feeling something here. A lot of it's good, some of it's bad, you know, and, and I need to sit with some of that that like feels uncomfortable, um, but I feel good about this, you know, and, and I'm, I'm with the right therapist to help me navigate this. And there, there's something above and beyond anything you do in that room um, about just being able to connect with that human that's so powerful, you know? Yeah, I think that so much of the healing actually comes through that. And sometimes as therapists, I don't know if everybody recognizes that. And maybe that's not their style and that's okay. But I really believe in the power of like healing through a relationship, through a role modeling of a healthy relationship with healthy boundaries. Um, And like I said, I think more times than not, it was how people left my office feeling. Meaning, again, it didn't matter how ugly what they told me was. It didn't matter. Like I still love them the same and probably love them even harder um, and I know that's a scary word for a lot of therapists to use. Like you loved on somebody. Oh, oh, where's your boundary, right? right? Some people get really freaked out by that. But to me, like love is a very uh, general term um, that doesn't necessarily mean anything romantic or anything like that. But it's sure. really just the state of yeah. being, like just showing somebody, like like I, I almost like boil it down to like treating somebody how you want to be treated with care and concern right. um, and consideration. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you, when you look at it, just that word or, or there's a lot of words like that within the field where clinicians would like, you know, turn their nose up to it. And it's like, you know, what's funny is like that visceral reaction that I think some people get is because it's like, it's like a, a, um, a 12 step concept uh, or just a recovery concept of like, if you spot it, you got it. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you are that averse to, to the word, and what you think that means, then the invitation there, right, as clinicians is to look and say, well, what is my part in this, right? If I have such an aversion to like how Heather is saying that she expresses love and compassion through her interventions to her clients, and I'm like, ooh, she loves her clients, and that's weird. Well, that's a reflection of how you're feeling about it internally. You should probably check that out, because there there might be some boundary work for you to do in that. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like I, I said, I you know. Like yeah, you got it. You got it. And I think it's really important that we like talk about that, that, you know, we can be humans with yeah. our clients. And I think our humanness is so much more important than all the letters that are after me. Like, I mean, who cares about that? Hmm the point through other way you know I don't care about my degrees on the wall you know this is this this is my home office but um you know so for me like I I don't care about that humanness is so important to me sure yeah you know it's like the the other day um I so I do experiential exercises in in my groups at the the the, uh, treatment center that I'm at and you got one, you, one of our groups is like, they're fresh, you know, they just got in and they're stuck. You know what I mean? And you bring in an experiential exercise that gets anywhere near like inner child stuff and the rage comes out, you know, and they kind of, they, they kind of created a boycott around me and like came at me hard. They like wanted to do an intervention with me. They're like, we, we don't like your group specifically, you know? And it was like all the, the comments of like, the other facilitators do this and the other facilitators get us, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they don't want to do the exercise. Um, and I had an option. there. 
I had a choice and, and, and it's not the first time it's happened to me. Um, and sometimes I handle it really well. And other times I just get hurt. You know, I just get upset or I'll get frustrated. And what's funny is like my feelings got supremely hurt and I didn't respond in the most therapeutic way. And what's funny is I came in the, the group after um, like a day or two later and I just shared that with them. I was like, Hey guys, I'm human. You know what I mean? And like, I was trying my best, but like when there's like four or five people coming at me like that, like my feelings got hurt, you know, and I'm curious if we could talk about that, you know, like what's the humanness behind that, you know, like, has anyone else ever kind of like felt hurt like that? Like, I'm, I'm curious if we could explore this a little bit because I'd like to navigate this with you guys. And what's funny is like being able to do that. Like I had a couple of individual clients that are in that group and they came in, they were just like, wow, like I didn't even think, you know, like before I came at you hard, you know, and it's like, we, we often don't. And it's like, look, I'm another human in the room just cause I'm the assigned professional and have some guidance here. Uh, doesn't mean I don't get my feelings hurt. And that's okay. You mean you're not a robot? No, I try not to be. I'm scared of robots. God bless you. You ever listen to Joe Rogan podcast? No. <laughs> We're going to merge with technology. Oh, you should check it out. He brings uh, on some pretty fascinating people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll check no. it out. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he tackles some of like, you know, the um, current issues of the day, you know. He's definitely out there. They talk to every now and then. So you know who Joe Rogan is, right? The comedian. Yeah, so he brings on, like, he just had a psychologist on uh, the other day, and they talked about, like, the current state. She works with, like, police officers. And so she was kind of talking about, like, psyche valves and how they handle this and, and where trainings need to go, which is pretty fascinating. Um, but then they also talk about, like, you know, AI and humans merging with AI. So God bless. I don't know if I'll go that far, but it's, it's funny to listen to. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of other stuff going on, but you never know. Hey, I never say never, right? <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know. Well, I'm curious though, right? Like just from the standpoint, because it's funny, like having some of those conversations too, or like hearing some things like that. I, it's funny, like as AI becomes a big conversation or robotics or the universe or space and stuff, it's funny that like, I think a lot of people find dissension away from spirituality with those things. And, and I find myself coming closer to like my mm -hmm. spiritual sense of higher power. And like, you know, I, I don't want to like put you on blast here as far as like your spirituality, but like, I'm curious because we're in such a state of flux in the world and so many different beliefs and like directions that people go with what they believe and, and like the doomsday stuff of like our aliens coming down in August, you know, and I'm curious where, you know, you're clinging to your spirituality and like where that intersection is like for you with not just the work you do with other people, but like your self-care and, and all those kind of components? Yeah, for sure. I think it's a really important question. Um, I think we're in a very, um, so when, you know, like there's those memes, like don't say we're in an unprecedented time or something like that. Like I, yeah. I, I just went to say, and I went, don't say it. And I said it like, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> but we are right. And, and so in saying that we're in these unprecedented times, I think that people are searching for what they believe in. And I think I saw that trend kind of before that um, and kind of people uh, gravitating towards what felt good for them. And, yeah. and, and that's interesting, right? I, I mean, sometimes things that aren't good for me, I, I might want to gravitate towards them because maybe they give me some uh, temporary relief from something, right? Sure. So uh, for me, my faith is literally what has gotten me through this with very minimal anxiety. Uh, and people don't believe that and can't, can't understand that. But, you know, my story is that like, I grew up a, a short version of my story is I grew up a Catholic girl, uh, went to church and, you know, when things happened in the Catholic church, it was really hard for my soul. Now they're not God right? You know, they're people. And so, you know, I don't hold God um, accountable for that piece of it, right? But for me, I actually got exposed to a Christian church uh, and started going and, and was able to access, you know, Jesus and God through a Christian church. And so for me, all of these things that I had innately felt in my heart long before I knew anything about the Bible or was reading the Bible, I, uh, I found in the Bible, like the things that I believe in. Are, and so like a lot of the pain points that people have come from, you know, things that 
the Bible talks about. And so it was the only um, book <laughs> or document or, you know, uh, organization that I felt like really helped me to understand life in a different way. Um, and so through accessing faith, um, I've been able to really remain pretty even keeled through these crazy, crazy times. For sure. Well, I would second that too. You know, it's like we talk about that in our Al-Anon meetings all the time. It's like every week someone will bring it up. It's like I'm very, very thankful that I had a connection to a fellowship and higher power before the pandemic hit. You know, and, and I think there's something to be said, like, it just, it, like you were touching on, I think because there's a connection to a sense of higher power and that like, I just fundamentally have that optimism of like, things are going to work out. People are going to be okay. And I can't control it either way. You know, That's even right. if we're not going to be okay, right. I can't control it. You know, there's, there's a plan that I don't need to plan. Like it's okay. It, it's this concept of like, it's okay for me to make plans, but I can't plan the outcome because when I plan the outcome, my life gets real unmanageable. You know, and I think a lot of that of, of family and friends that I've seen during this pandemic who get like unraveled is like that drive to want to plan for the outcome of this. Like, when are we going back to school? When are we going back to work? I'm going to do this. And it's like, hey, we can make plans to take care of ourselves in the meantime, but we can't plan the outcome because there's just too much stuff going on right now anyway in the world. Sure. So I, I just, I like that you touched on that too, of just like your spirituality within this being, being a huge driving factor behind what's kept you grounded. Um, yeah. You know, I think, just something you know, one, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go for it. I was just rambling. <laughs> no, you don't have, you know, sometimes there's a delay in the computer. So I thought you were done and I was going to insert another thought here. You know, I think one of the things that becomes incredibly important with, with spirituality, no matter what you choose to believe in is, I hope you do the research, right? And I tell people that all the time. Like, I think it's important to know what you're believing in. And if you don't know what you believe in, it's hard to utilize it uh, to help you uh, to the fullest. So for me, like literally having a relationship with God uh, and reading the Bible, it gives me a tool to combat anxiety. Like literally sure. it's right there. And so I, you know, one of the things that I've seen is, you know, when people are questioning what they believe in, you know, I always encourage this. I'm like, do research. Like if you want to go believe in, in spaceships, okay, that's fine. But I would like you to do some research behind, behind that, right? Like what's behind that piece of it. And I think that that's one of the things that I see missing for a lot of people, which leaves them then kind of more vulnerable and stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, what, what is it about that, that you believe in? Right. And you know, what's funny is, is I, I've got quite the range of friends out here in California. We tend to be pretty progressive on this side of the world. And, uh, yeah. you know, I've yeah. got a buddy who's super into aliens, you know, and, and I, I fucking love the guy. You know what I mean? He's a solid human. But boy, if he doesn't believe everything that's said about aliens. But you know what? What's what I really respect about him is the same way that I would pursue my spirituality and my recovery in Al-Anon and the ways that I like associate at pursuing my higher power and and where I find that in the senses of Christianity and where I find that in, in kind of like the ways I try to like incorporate like more of like the universe explanations of kind of our, our physical matter in the world and like those intersections like I read about it and you know what if his sense is like these are higher beings where I have a lot of respect for him is he reads everything there is to know about it and he's grounded in what he believes in that and and it, it, there's no sense of like anyone needs to change that because he's not being you know like off base or wackadoodle about it he's just he believes it you know, he believes it and it brings him peace. And so very similar to us over here, he's been very grounded during this time of like, everything's going to be all right. You know, you got, uh, you got the aliens up there looking out for us. And it's not so dissimilar from me saying like, Hey, God's up there looking, looking over us. And everything's going to be okay. Now I may not, I, I may not believe what he believes, but the fact that the concept is very similar allows us to still be really good buds, you know? And, I think that's where a lot of people are like, hey, if you don't believe what I believe, then, you know, fuck you. And it's like, whoa, dude, let's calm down on that for a second. <laughs> yeah, let's and I think it's always, like, 
what, what's going on inside of you that you can't like somebody who's different than you or who has different beliefs right. than you. Now, you know, I think it's, you know, there's a, you know, it's like, I feel like there's always an exception to everything, right? If somebody is maybe pulling you away from the things that you believe in in a negative way and it's negatively impacting you, certainly you have to kind of monitor your peer group, but for people to have different beliefs and, and, and be respectful of one another, like you don't have to go away from those people. And I, I, I think that's just asinine. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I don't get that. That's again, that goes back to like that love thing. Like you're supposed to, in my, you know, what I believe you're supposed to love everybody. You're not, you don't have to take any shit. You know what I mean? But like, you have to love people where they're at. Um, and that's one of the, the biggest things I think I've learned as a therapist is like really loving people where they're at. And I've had to learn how to extend that both, not just professionally, but also personally to say like, whoa, you're under my skin right now. I want you to be somewhere that you're not, you know, but, but, but they're not there. And then how I manage yeah. myself in those situations becomes incredibly important. Oh, hugely, hugely, you know, because it, it's that conversation of like, I ran into that big time in the beginning of my work of like, I wanted everyone to be there. And I, and didn't you know, I was the one that had the answers of how to help you get there, you know? And and I had to slow down hugely on that and realize like, it's like, it was fourth and eighth step work for me where it was like, what is my part in it? Why am I perpetuating these resentments towards this institution, this person, this place, this thing, right? And where do I need to make amends, you know? And, and these conversations, right? It's like, it reminds me of like a karate kid, you know? And like Daniel has to go and like make amends sometimes when he, when he messes things up, yeah. bless his heart. Um, but we, I mean, there's so many examples of that, but like within recovery, it's, it's like you were touching on where this, this conversation of, of really connecting with your part in things and allowing other people to have differences, you know, and, and, and when you do find yourself like in a place of, let's just say like ignorance with someone is like taking a deep breath and realizing, Hey, my response to them has absolutely nothing to do with them. The question is, what am I feeling? in this moment that's causing me to behave in this way towards this human because their behavior has zero to do with me. Like no matter what, no matter how close the proximity is, even if it's like your significant other, you know, and that's a big, big ask. And in the beginning, I wanted everyone to have the keys to that kingdom. And what's funny is I was locking myself out. Listen, that self-awareness is only as good as you using it. And I hear you saying like you've been putting that into practice and doing the work. So kudos to you because it's not always easy. No, for sure. For sure. And that, it's why I liked what you were saying is like, you know, not everyone's going to be there and you still got to love on those people. You still got to be able to, I mean, you don't have to, you know, I know a lot of therapists who don't and they still do good work. They're still brilliant people. Um, but they don't love on their clients. You know, they don't express like the same, you know, levels of compassion. It doesn't make them any less passionate. Um, but I think there's something to be said about it, right? I think there's something about like good work, you know, that happens when you can bring that component into, you know? Sure, sure. And again, it goes back to the humanness for me. And yeah, everybody, listen, not everybody is going to like my style and that's okay. Like I, I there have been moments where I have felt like, I'm not a good fit for what the client needs. And I have said that and said, listen, I want to talk about this. I don't think I'm the right fit for you based on what you're describing to me and basing on, you know, whether it be based on the interactions we had or, you know, there's a variety of things and that's okay. Like I'm okay with that because I can't, you know, fix, you know, that's the big word, everybody, or I can't, you know, I'm not the right fit. And, you know, learning to be okay with that becomes so important, especially in this field that, you know, you don't, we're, we're often pulled in a million different directions in terms of like, you know, we need to help this person and then they need this and then that. And then, you know what I mean? And we can be pulled in so many different directions that at times it can be challenging. Um, but that word no is a complete sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Like, gosh, <laughs> not just in our work, but like taking that into life, you know, it's like, yeah, it's okay to say no. It really, really, really is. And, um, you know, planting that seed, it's like, hey, let, 
because it's like there's so many different patterns that could emerge where saying no is going to be beneficial. So I think you just being able to say that, right, and plant that seed is like, hey, just know that if a situation arises in your life and you think, hey, maybe I should say no here, just remember Heather said it's okay to say no. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I've told clients, but I'm like, blame it on me. I don't care. Like, blame it on the therapist, whatever. You know what I mean? If that helps you in the situation, not a problem at all for me, you know, like no, no harm, no foul. Yeah. Yeah, if they got a problem, tell them to leave a message on my confidential voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> eh, two to five business yeah. days, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take my time getting around to that. They're not my client. Exactly. <laughs> so do you so you do private practice, yes? Um. So yeah, I have private clients at times. Um. I used to do that full time. I don't do that full time anymore. I do some triaging work um, and helping in that field and doing some volunteering, but Yes, I have some private clients. And like I said, at one point I was full-time private practice. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. So it's working in the field in multiple ways and, you know, just kind of inspired in a lot of different directions, it sounds. But I'm curious, Heather, just from the standpoint of some of the conversations we've been having and some of the intersections that you bring into your work, what literature Kind of what book sticks out to you as far as like the most inspiring book you've read within this field that kind of brings together those intersections that you like to, to work with in therapy? Yeah, well, I'm glad you said in the field because, you know, my number one answer was going to be, I, I, I read the Bible every day, right? That's like my handbook for life, right? Like I get, yeah. so I'm like, oh, okay, I, I'm feeling this. Like, oh, I can look up a passage that tells me what to do with it or what's going on. So, so that's, yeah. that's Let, a personal uh, book. I let Melissa slide with that answer last time. You know, Melissa, the, the one who recommended to reach out to you. I oh, even came so, prepared. Oh, no Listen, yeah, I came ready. prepared. So I, I was like, all right, yeah. I can't just get away with that. Like, let me try to, you know, because again, the Bible <laughs> might not be for everybody. Um, but so for me, there's a couple of books. I am obsessed with Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. Dr. John Towson. Town yeah, yeah, Cloud and Townsend. Yes. Boundary. Yeah. Yep. I feel, I find like their books are incredibly helpful, very user-friendly, very accessible. Um, and so I'm really, they, they talk a lot about boundaries in different situations. So I am a, the, I'm like the queen of like, let's set some boundaries here. What does that look like? Boundaries keep you safe and healthy and happy. So like, how do you have some? Right. 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 Number, you want to fun fact about Huh? Fun fact about the, the church that Cloud and Townsend operated out of for forever is like five minutes around the corner from where I'm located right now. They're like, wow. they're, they're big time in this the area that, that, you know, Melissa and I are in out here. Yeah. Didn't know that. I didn't know that. And then the yeah. other one is, I, you know, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. I think she talks about Ooh, things that are important to me, right? <laughs> Vulnerability, um, compassion, all of these things that are just so essential to who I am as a human. And so one of the first books I actually read in, um, in grad school, well, I don't say it was the first book. That's not exactly accurate, but like it was a book for a class that, um, was not like an academic textbook was the gifts right, right. of imperfection. Um, yes. I the thought, phenomenal. right. Yeah. Huge. Like I just, I love her work. Like I have a bookshelf back here. You can't see it, but it has a ton of different books on it, but I tried to come with like two that I, I could say like, Hey, I have found so much value in these books specifically. Yeah. Well, I, I love how like in that book, we, we used to use it. I worked at a trauma treatment center for like a year and a half. And when they came in, in their like handouts or like in their um, little tote bag with their assignments was the gifts of imperfection. And so I would run group on that book. And what I love is like, she talks about like the concept of cultivating these things in your life. And the chapter I always went to, of course, was like cultivating authenticity because it's just, you know, you're getting to know each other. Like how can we be, impeccable with our word and authentic in this room, you know, kind of stuff. Um, but there's also like, I love how in that book, she, she has the dig deep concept of like, here's what I gave to you and, and here's some exercises you can do with it. And it's, sure. it's just powerful. She, she definitely knows how to reach people. Yeah. I love it. it, it I just think she's phenomenal. I think she's a good, you know, again, you sense that authenticity from her. So you want to learn from her, even if she's like telling you like, the worst thing in the world. I feel like you want to hear it because you're like, 
all right, but uh, she, she, she's sincere, right? Yeah, there's a, you know, in, in the, the book, the one that, like, made her famous, Darren Greatly. Um, you know, like, like, when we read it in grad school, it was like, okay, I can see why everyone has the, the lady crush on her, you know, like, and I really, really like her work, you know. But, like, you're just surrounded by, like, because she became, like, the biggest thing. And, uh, but what really sold me on her, she had this, this really short segment in the book that talked about the guy who approached her at the seminar that, that was sharing like, Hey, when I, I'm expected to be the white knight. And when I get off my horse, I get the shit beat out of me essentially, you know, and it was really, it was like the beginning concepts there that like started to open my mind to like those concepts of like the victim mentality and the one up mentality, right. And the balance and shift between those two concepts that like became more apparent in the work that, you know, I would do with like clients in addiction, but also the work I would need to do in my own life. And, yeah. it, and those concepts that she highlights, like it, it laid some foundational pieces there that um, I think shame research really can do, you know? Totally, totally. You know, and my ba- I haven't really talked much about my background, but my background is in trauma. Um, and so oh. I, you know, I, I've worked significantly with trauma, you know, uh, whether it be a survivors of sexual abuse, um, all types of abuse. I'm actually a trauma specialist. Um, again, but that goes back to like, eh, it doesn't matter what the, the title is, but that's where I think I'm like, sure. again, that role modeling of healthy is so important. So, so yeah, I get that, that piece of like, you know, listen, this is again, it's hard work. And again, show up, be authentic. Um, and you're going to have to dig deep. I love that. When you said that, it's like, yeah, like, yeah, uh, listen, therapy is not for the weak of heart. And I say that because people think it's, you know, coming and talking about your problems for an hour. But when you're doing the work, it is challenging and rewarding at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, those, those little moments and it, it, it impacted me so hard. And I've had clients share this experience too. It's like the, the hour that we get with each other a week or sometimes when you're in treatment, it's two times a week. Like those are really beneficial, but it's like, Hey, that's to lay that groundwork for the work is to go out and feel and to explore your emotions and to slow it down enough to actually feel what's going on in your reality. Right. And, yeah. and, and working to get to that place and therapy is really good for, you know, if you're slowing down enough to really sit with those feelings. Um, and then like you were saying, it's going to be rewarding but God damn it, if it's not painful. Yeah, I think it's like, I always joke, like I would um, do this thing of, I don't know if it's over explaining, but kind of like preparing people in a good way and being like, hey, like there's gonna be a point you probably won't like what's happening here, just so you know, yeah. you know? But, but if you can come back like two or three more times after that point, I have confidence yeah. we'll get through it, right? You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's like the disclosure I give in my informed consent is like, you know, there's, there's, I'm not going to force you here, you know, but uh, I, I do ask, right, I do outline it in my informed consent. I'm like, hey, you know, let's give this a certain number of sessions to like really engage in this process and see if it's a fit. Because it also, like, it not just allows us to get into the work and see if it's a good fit, but it also allows me to prep if we're not the right fit to get you re- referrals and re- resources. And I think that's, what I find in that is like, you know, cause I'm usually getting referrals in my private practice from clinicians who are specifically referring to me. So what I find is like a lot of people come into therapy and they're not prepared for the conversation of like, Oh, this is an ongoing process. And so to be able to like, even when it's not a fit, take the time to get them resources. It's like, Whoa, people really do care about me just because I'm here. And that's, I think a, a really impactful thing for Totally. I agree. And it's important. And it's important that we do that as clinicians. And it's important that people understand that process so they know what they're getting themselves into. And, and I, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I had one more question for you and, uh, and, and then I'll stop bugging you, but, um, on your Instagram, it's, I'm asking this because like, what's, what's funny is, um, the, the name of the scripture was always one that like cracked me up for whatever reason like it brings back fond memories but deuteronomy or however you pronounce that uh those those places in scripture i think it's 28 that you have on there i'm curious just kind of like what um what it is about that scripture and particularly that um 
kind of draws you to it and, and why you like to share that with your, uh, with your followers. Yeah. So Deuteronomy has been, um, it was funny, like, um, it was a passage that was read to me long before I came into a relationship with God. And it was kind of like in Deuteronomy, it talks about, you know, you walked through the wilderness, uh, for all these years and like God saw what was in your heart. And so then Deuteronomy 28 goes on to talk about because he saw what was in your heart and because it was pure and because it was love and because it was goodness that he wants to uh, reward you and bless you and, and love on you even more and, and bring you fuller into the manifestation of his kingdom here on earth. And so for me, that became so powerful because I had felt so perpetually misunderstood uh, kind of growing up. That's a little bit about me personally, but I had felt kind of misunderstood and felt like you know, I have this heart that's for people and loves on people. Um, and it was, it was in contrary to what I was seeing around me at the time. Uh, and so for me, it's like for the, the longest time I had Deuteronomy 828 or 828 there, you know, again, about that wilderness piece. And I had felt like I was in the wilderness for so long, kind of on this journey. And I feel like finally in writing this book, I'm walking into his promises for me and that I'm going to be able to help people in such a different way um, through the experiences that I've had as a, uh, you know, as a, as a therapist, um, but in a, such a different and more powerful way than I could have ever imagined. And so for me, that's really just what's resonating with me in this season. I like that. I like that. I'm, I'm also just a big fan of that concept of the wilderness and getting outside and and being being outdoors to find yourself, there's there's something about that that calls to me as well. So, I like that you highlight those things. Yeah, like now, I said, you know, we have to walk through some things in order to sometimes to get to where we need to be. And so, like it even like so funny, like now that I'm talking about it out loud, it parallels the therapeutic process a lot of times. You feel like you're in the, the wilderness. Sure. Like, what the hell's going on? Does anybody see what I'm trying to like? You know, and it it can be so challenging. But then you get there and you're like, ah, oh. and so, gosh, I never even thought of it, but like, it really does. It's so for me parallels that entire change process. Yeah. It's like, you know, much like, like a forest or wilderness. It's like when you first are like in the thick of it, or like when, you know, even if you've never been in it and you've seen videos of it, it's like when you're in the thick of it, it's like kind of beautiful, but it's also kind of, you know, dangerous. And then you like walk out of these bushes and there's like a lake or an ocean or like some body of water and it's like gorgeous. And like, that's, that's one, like, I think metaphor for the clinical side of like the work that we're doing in those rooms is like, Hey, in the beginning, we're going to have to use a machete and knock some of these things down and, and really move some things around. And, and you're going to need to be in motion, but also like at times we're going to need to slow down and take a break. And then we're going to have this beautiful view that neither of us can explain and we don't really need to thank each other for it, but we might. And, and that's just kind of part of the process. And it's, and then we're off to the next view, you know, whenever the time permits and it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. I love it. Now you're, you're going to be having a book coming out sometime in the near ish future and, and yes. no rush or pressure on that process. Of course, <laughs> I'm sure you got enough of that. Um, but for those listening, right. So if you're, if you're following along on social media, I'll be sure to, when Heather does, um, kind of share her journey with that, as far as like where she's at with it or when it's published, I'll make sure to share that with you guys just so you can see where Thank she's you. at with all those things. And, and, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a beautiful book. I, I look forward to reading it myself. Yeah. I, I, and I appreciate your support and even reaching out to me to have me on, you know, Hey, I just, I would say it's like little me. These are just my thoughts, you know, but again, I hope they are helpful to somebody in the journey, right? Like that's why I do what I do. I don't do it for myself. I do it so that somebody else can, you know, be blessed and, and helped by it. So absolutely. A quick update on the book is that we're in the editing process and then, uh, hopefully, you know, working towards that, uh, self-publishing journey here there's some timeframes being thrown around. We don't know, but my goal, personal goals by the end of the year, uh, but we will see, you know, sometimes you just, again, we're in, we're in a global pandemic, eh, you know, whatevs, you know, so I have lack of control of whatever that looks like and I'm just rolling with it and rolling with the process, but I will 
be sure to share. Um, Instagram is the primary way that I communicate with people currently. And so you can yeah. follow me there. Cool. Yeah. So, and it's, um, or do you want to give your hand, uh, you know, your handle, or do you want me to put that in the description of this so that people can find you on Instagram? Why not? Yeah, sure. I mean, certainly I always like to interact with as many people as I can. And like I said, it's about helping as many people as I can, you know, and, and, and what's cool about social media is that's the way you can do it. Right. I, I'm limited yeah. in the one-on-one -on -one model. I can only, you know, I only have so many hours in a day. So sometimes, you know, when you read something on the internet, it can be helpful to you. So um, I certainly hope to be one of those people, but my Instagram handle is just my first and last name. Nothing super uh, creative here. I, all the creativity went to the book. So uh, it's just yeah. Heather and Gore, G-O-R-R. Cool. Well, I'll have that in the description and I, I really appreciate you just taking this time and, and also, you know, coming and doing this, like you, you inspired me, right? When I saw your stuff and Melissa said like, Hey, you got to check out this profile. Like right away I was inspired and I just appreciate you coming in and sharing that with my community. And, and uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing where your journey takes you. Likewise. I'm so excited for you. And I think you're doing such great work by, uh, you know, spreading uh, knowledge and, and just increasing knowledge overall uh, as to what this therapeutic process looks like. And hey, like therapists are just people too. So thank you to you and kudos. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see where this podcast takes you. Yeah. One, one day at a time. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> Well, thank you again, Heather.